That's Debatable is sponsored by MB&G. MB&G are specialists in the esoteric world of vehicle and furniture warranty insurance, delivering quite marvellous customer service, prompt claims payment, and a highly developed understanding of how to deliver these products in a way that is both compliant with the regulations and attractive to customers. and welcome to That's Debatable, the weekly news podcast of the Free Speech Union. Happy New Year, Ben. How, how are you? Happy New Year, Tom, and Happy New Year to uh, listeners new and returning. I'm very well. Um, not, not a restful Christmas with a three-year-old in the house, but an enjoyable one. <laughs> sure, you had a lot of fun. You can, hand them, you can hand a three-year-old around relatives at Christmas time, can't you? Yeah, well, that, that, that's the great joy. Less joyful was the, uh, the five wake-ups on the night after Christmas because she was so wired on chocolate. Um, but uh, but then so was I. So it's fine. It, it, the problem is when you think that the three year old is with aunt number one, but aunt number one says no. The three year old is with uncle number two, and uncle number two <laughs> yes. says, "Well, no, I don't have the three year old. The three year old's over there with the grandparents." And before you know it, you've lost the three year old. <laughs> they and and small children become very litigious very quickly, um, and are <laughs> very artful and creative legal minds. Let's put it that way. Um, All the more for them to become members of the Free Speech Union if they yes, <laughs> need legal help indeed. dealing with their parents. Our, our first item today on our on our running order says, who the hell are we? And uh, we <laughs> thought it would be a good idea to reintroduce ourselves, um, particularly to people who are listening to the podcast or who perhaps have just joined the Free Speech Union recently over the Christmas breaks. We, uh, we, we sell uh, gift memberships, so... Um, welcome if you've been gifted a membership of the FSU and you're, you're listening now for the very first time. Um, so I'm Dr. Ben Jones and I'm the Director of Case Operations and Outreach at the Free Speech Union. So my job in a nutshell basically is helping people who've been cancelled or who are at risk of being cancelled uh, or are being investigated by their employer or their university uh, or face being fired for something they've said. So uh, dealing with all sorts of different people in all sorts of different sectors um, and uh, that's that. And the other thing I do is uh, direct the Ian McTaggart programme, where we give uh, grants of money to uh, students, to young people who are doing um, activities that promote free speech on campus. So maybe they're running a student society and we give some some money towards that or they want to uh, put on an exhibition or have a, a day of uh, talks and workshops or something like that. So those are the those are sort of two, two main things I do. Uh, Tom? Uh, just to clarify, you're not a medical doctor, are you, Ben? You're a. Uh, I am not. No, thank you, Tom. Thank you, doctor for, of philosophy. Uh, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, recent, yeah, recently, case. recently made a doctor. So I'm, I'm still at the stage of, uh, of, of telling, telling people. In this case, I'm certainly not a doctor. So I have to try and keep you hold, <laughs> hold your boots and keep you down on earth. You, you am, philosophers are all over the place, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but worse than that, I'm, I'm, I'm a statistician. I'm, I'm director of uh, data and of impact here at the Free Speech Union. Uh, and uh, so big part of what I do is try and put some shape around the work that Ben does and his colleagues around the casework. We have had over 2,250 cases. And clearly, if we're going to talk about them, if we're going to report on them, and if we're going to make use of them in this war we're in against cancel culture, we need to make sure that the data is well curated, easily accessible, um, and available for 
members of the Free Speech Union, uh, colleagues at the Free Speech Union for press requests on data and, and how, how it's going and some of our highlights and our successes. So really, since uh, I joined, since I took closed the door behind me. Uh, it's been like jumping on a conveyor belt, trying to kind of keep up with all of these cases and put them into some sort of shape and some sort of order. At the same time, I also help uh, keep abreast of our membership statistics, understanding um, how those are changing week by week, month by month, quarter by quarter, so that we really have our finger on the pulse of what's uh, going on in the free speech union. As they say, unless you measure it, you don't know you don't know what's happening. So uh, hopefully, hopefully in the last year and a half or so, we've all got a clearer picture and, a, and a, as it were, a better dashboard, Ben, I think is the technical phrase of, of what's going on from the commanding heights of the Free Speech Union. Uh, this is one of the really interesting um, byproducts of, of what uh, me and my colleagues in the case and legal teams of the Free Speech Union are doing is that we are building up basically what must be the biggest and best database, data set, on council culture, certainly in Britain, perhaps anywhere in the world. Um, and that's simply by measuring and logging what, what we're doing, who we're helping, what they've said, uh, where they work, those sorts of things, um, all of which is kept, uh, of, of course, very, very, very secure. Um, but it is interesting, and, and it means that it's something that we can come back to, and, it, and it, every few episodes there'll be some new um, tidbits, some new information that we, could, we can drop in about uh, what the trends are in the, the free speech culture war uh, arena in any any given period um so i suspect there's going to be all sorts of stuff in 2024 that we've seen over the last three four years uh, that's recurring and also new issues that uh, come to the fore so israel palestine in the last couple of months we've we've had a lot of uh, contact with members we've got very divergent views on that uh, who've come to us looking for assistance um yeah so that's us that's what we do uh and welcome to the podcast. And if you're a new member, welcome to the Free Speech Union. Yeah, welcome indeed. But I, I do find it funny, Ben, that sometimes what we do is improve things operationally. You know, that's what that's why we need to change the way we do things. As we've grown at the Free Speech Union, we're now remind me how many employees we are. We are. Are we? Are we eighteen, nineteen? I think it might be potentially now. Uh, I, think I think we're over twenty. Um, but it's it's a big team. It's, it's wow. Kept, um, you know, tremendously busy. There's. Uh, there's really no yeah. let up. This is yeah. we're we're speaking now on Tuesday, the second of January, so it's our first day back after uh, Christmas closure, and uh, you know really got to hit the ground running. There's been no let up. Unfortunately, lots of people. It's that operational change as we grow, and the the sort of the positive side effect of that, as you say, is that you create a better understanding as you improve things operationally. You create this better understanding of what you're actually doing because you are running at full speed all the time, Ben. Yeah, you've got cases coming in. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant at times, especially when you come back after New Year, drinking from a fire hydrant. And uh, so knowing at the same time that we're, we're improving those processes, making your life easier and collecting the data in a, in a usable way, I think is is really good. But once you get me on data, I won't stop talking. Can I make, so now, can I, <laughs> I'll interrupt you then, Tom, just to make one more point, which of course is that by collecting this and being able to paint a really convincing picture of, of what is going on uh, to demonstrate that council culture is a real phenomenon, uh, to put it mildly, that means we can act in a more strategic way. When we're talking to politicians, policymakers, we can say, you know, particularly to ones who are perhaps sceptical that this is a real issue, we can say, well, look, here are the 400 people who approached us for assistance last year whose cases we, we took up 
and assisted with. I think that's a really powerful argument. And here's a nugget, Ben, that top of our case work list in terms of the other party, the party that occurs most frequently in our casework, is the National Health Service. And that is an aggregated number. So we count all the cases that come in all of our all of the different health trusts around uh, the country, and they all get aggregated and labeled NHS. So so it's not just one part of the country, it's the whole, it's the whole beast of the NHS. Um, but it brings us on nicely, I think, to the first topic. Because like like me, I think you've been reading over the new year and over the Christmas period, Ben, about all sorts of things, probably. Um, some chilled out reading, but also we never quite get away from our free speech reading. But you came across this article in The Spectator, and we were talking about that just before we came on air, I think. Yeah, well, it's really nice to start uh, the year with some good news. Actually, this this article was published uh, on New Year's Eve uh, at about uh, half past four in The Spectator by Fraser Nelson, so ending last year with some good news, I should say, uh, which is his article, Why the Spectator Didn't Cancel Carol Sikora. Uh, who is the oncologist, the professor, who I think lots of people uh, came across perhaps for the first time in 2020 as a commentator on lockdowns, COVID policy, pandemic, etc. Um, I, I remember following him about kind of February, March 2020, that sort of time. Um, and he, as an oncologist, is, has been very concerned about the effect of the pandemic and the response to the pandemic on uh, things like cancer waiting times and so on. Um, and I think has been a very important voice in that in that debate. Um, certainly, someone someone who I, I think is very worth uh, listening to. Um, and he was invited by uh, the Spectator to uh, come to a panel uh, which is entitled "How to Fix Britain's Cancer Crisis." Uh, and despite having forty years of experience, uh, former director of the World Health Organization's cancer program, and so on, the sponsor of this uh, panel, this was supposed to be held at the Tory conference, uh, said that his, he and, and his presence did not align with its values and that basically he, he could not take part in this panel. So this is the kind of thing that we see at the Free Speech Union all the time. And I'm afraid the typical response to that is usually um, that the organiser of the event have to, uh, well, feel, that I should say, feel that they have no other choice but to kick the panellist off because they're relying on the money of the sponsor, basically. Um, but in this case, the spectator said no. And uh, Andrew Neil, it says in the article, uh, took approximately 0.1 seconds to agree that uh, <laughs> Professor Score should stay and that the sponsor instead should be cancelled. Uh, and uh, the article also says that it took the sponsor a while uh, to work out what was being said to them, uh, that they were being told, no, get stuffed, basically. Um, and I thought this is great. This is really nice. And it shows that um, that you can resist cancel culture, that organisers of, uh, of events like this can say no. Um yeah, so a really nice piece of news. And it was not an insignificant amount of money either. It was £25,000 that was on the table uh, that the sponsor would have um, determined to go towards this event and that was going to come off the table if Professor Carol Sikora, Sikora was allowed to stay on the panel. And it is great news because despite that amount of money, uh, Fraser Nelson and the team at The Spectator, or Andrew Neal as the chairman, immediately said, no, 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 we're not going to be held hostage. We're not going to be held to ransom 
over even an amount of money like that, which would keep, I guess that would keep someone employed, wouldn't it, for a year at The Spectator, that amount of money. And so good on the spectator and, and and it's tempting to think oh well that's just they're banging their own drum well i know to be honest i think we need to hear these good news stories and we need to know that there are organizations out there with influence publications media outlets who are willing to stand up so yes it is in part the spectator banging it banging a drum proclaiming you know that it's done a good thing but i'm glad it has because it, we we need to hear about the good news stories, especially, I think, that another thing that jumped out at me, as well as that rather amusing moment, Ben, when the sponsor couldn't work out, they were being booted, uh, was the, the phrase, the values. It was the values of Professor Carol Sakura, which um, they had a problem with. And immediately that took me back to the dossier, um, the Nigel Farage dossier, in a completely different in, in environment situation. Uh, there again, Coots Bank, and that dossier referenced the values. Uh, and, you know, again, it seems in, an, in the NHS, which is obsessing over equality, diversity, and inclusion, obsessing over a, a new set of values, a new set of ideologies, everyone's being sort of lined up against that and then determined whether it's like the sheep and the goats. No, sorry, you're a goat. You go through the red door. You don't go through the green door. And so it immediately sort of took me back to all sorts of points through last year, in particular, 2023, where people's values, organizations' values were, were used as an excuse to say, no, not you, not now, uh, which really means never, of course. So, you know, that, that jumped out at me as well. But, um, you know, as you say, impeccable credentials, and yet it's these sorts of people. Here's a, here's a really good little data point. It's these sorts of people who are constantly at risk of being silenced and of being, in inverted commas, cancelled. Cancel culture does exist. Well, I think we're probably going to be sticking with values on our next topics. I see on the running order you've uh, you've put a soup of acronyms, Tom. You've put FCA, PRA, EDI. So I can work out <laughs> some of those things. Um, but this is this is uh, this is an important uh, topic that looks impenetrable, but which you are going to make comprehensible uh, to us now. I think. Do, do you know what's strange about that, Ben? When I uh, wrote that out uh, ahead of the recording, FCA, PRA, PRA, EDI, not for one minute did I think, oh, I'm writing out a lot of three-letter acronyms. Uh, and yet you're absolutely right. As I look at it now, it's utterly impenetrable. I mean, if people were looking at the sorts of notes people at the Free Speech Union have for uh, for these sorts of segments, I think they'd be appalled. So FCA is the Financial Conduct Authority. Yep. PRA is the Prudential Regulation Authority. I ah. myself have got that wrong. I called that the Prudential Regulatory Authority, I think, in one of, one of my notes. And EDI is Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And this refers to a consultation that closed a couple of weeks ago, which we, the Free Speech Union, we contributed to that consultation. It was on embedding diversity and inclusion more deeply into regulated firms. And they were two different consultations, one by the Financial Conduct Authority and another by the Prudential Regulation Authority, but they were done in conjunction with each other, in parallel. So they made reference to each other. And in essence, they were they did that 
deliberately because they want to go hand in hand to make sure that regulated companies aren't going to be pulled in two different directions. And that as diversity and inclusion is embedded more deeply, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll do it consistently. But we went in and on both consultations were pretty clear that we opposed uh, what was being proposed uh, for several core reasons. First of all, the data collection that was being proposed allowed firms to choose between sex and gender when they were um, collecting their data and submitting it to the regulator. Of course, we know 30% of our cases, more than 30% of our cases, are to do with the new gender ideology. And we know there would be inconsistency, pressurizing on employees to kind of contribute to this data collection exercise in a way that would either explicitly or at the very least implicitly require them to go along with gender ideology. And so we were very concerned about that. And data collection isn't in and of itself an obvious free speech issue. But I think the, the problem there, Ben, is that when companies want to collect data, they do, in however much they don't want to, they do put, and I've been in this situation, they do put their employees um, under pressure to contribute their data, not to say, I don't want to disclose. There, There is mm. a sort of, I don't want to be the one that stands out. Maybe I won't get the next promotion. And you're being reminded constantly, aren't you? For, for mm. you? You're being bombarded by email saying, please complete this by such and such, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 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 You really are. It, it, it's relentless. And they then have exception reports that go around from HR or from even the executive management team saying, you know, these are the employees who haven't yet filled it in. These are the employees who haven't yet filled it in. So you do start to stand out. And that, that was the first thing was the sort of data collection. We were very concerned about that. And I think the second thing was the, the, the definitions. Um, the definitions in equity, diversity, and inclusion have just morphed and changed. Equality has changed, in, changed into equity. Um, you know, anti-racism is a technical term now. It, it's, it's embedded in critical race theory. It's not what we would traditionally call um, uh, colorblind opposition to racism. It's a different kind. We're all, we're all complicit in racism just by virtue of our membership of a particular group. And, and so these definitions also matter. And these definitions are also changing. And interestingly, both of these consultations, and of course, remember, these consultations are going to every single, going to apply to every single regulated financial firm in the whole of the United Kingdom. Um, but even the consultations admitted that these definitions are changing and they may change in the future and it's an evolving world. Well, that's not good enough. That's just not good enough to put employees in a position where they they have to sign up to diversity and inclusion being ever more deeply embedded. But we're not defining it, or at least we're allowing those definitions to have an unknown future evolution. So that was a second area that we were concerned about. Um, just two more briefly. The third is the DNI industry has been appalling in the way that it's treated freedom of expression and free speech in the workplace. And yet in these consultations, there wasn't any real acknowledgement other than recognizing that sometimes unconscious bias tests don't work, uh, which they are, one of them was particularly upfront with. They don't recognize the DNI industry itself is flawed, it's unregulated, it's out of control, 
It's the same old usual suspects that are coming in and, and giving this training and embedding this philosophy. So that was our third point. And lastly, sorry, I'm aware I've, I've witted on. No, it's right. Go uh, on. Ben, I'm going to jump in in a minute, but go on. Yeah, no, the, the last thing, um, which focused really on the FCA consultation, they wanted to introduce a new non-financial risk. That sounds innocuous. What that means is it's a risk that needs to be looked at seriously by boards of directors, monitored by boards of directors, and reported on by boards of directors. And the non-financial risk they wanted to introduce was a lack of DNI. So a lack of DNI, diversity and inclusion, would now be a new tracked non-financial risk. And with all the flaws of DNI and its implementation, I actually think a lack of DNI. Uh, is probably a pretty good thing <laughs> in a technical sense. We all we all agree that we we need to be inclusive. We all agree that diversity can be a very good thing. But the industry, the DNI industry, is a different animal, and a lack of DNI would inevitably mean a lack of this industry and its in its tentacles coming into uh, the financial world. So so that last one was was particularly worrying and would would absolutely force firms to embed this flawed industry deeper into their um into their organizations with a really chilling effect a really chilling effect on freedom of expression this can i just take this there's this interesting um confluence here between anti-racism and a particular approach to equality diversity inclusion that's, that's been imported in around 2020 um, from the United States. So you've got, you've got that. And then on the other hand, you have corporate risk. And of course, Tom, as a former actor, that's something you spent a lot of your career thinking about mitigating, mm. measuring, calculating, predicting, etc. Um, and th this made me think of an article that was published in Unheard, uh, written by Mary Harrington um, earlier today. So that's 2nd of January. Um, in which she's talking about the uh, radical race politics of uh, Gen Z. Uh, and it seems to me that if you're trying to calculate the short-term or medium-term risk posed by a lack of EDI training in your business, you might get uh, that you know, there might be a, a lawsuit that results from that sale. There might be a grievance or, or internal complaints of various kinds. Um, so there's all sorts of risks that you want to mitigate. And the way in which those businesses are mitigating it is by pumping out pretty aggressive EDI training, unconscious bias training, all that sort of stuff. So you can see why they're doing that. We think it's wrong because it um, amounts to political indoctrination, but you can see from that point of view why they're doing it. Um, but the point that Mary Harrington makes, and I think it's a point that a lot of people have, have stumbled to, uh, perhaps less eloquently than, than she has, is that if you continue to put race, ethnicity at the centre of everything, um, in a context where um, the overall white population is a declining percentage, in the United Kingdom, um, and certainly in London, I think it's 38% or something, mm -hmm. um, that the, the, what you produce from that is, well, is very likely to be a race-first view of politics and of dividing up society and the spoils of and, and, and the, the riches of governance and um, taxpayers' money and so on, which obviously, if you believe in liberal democracy, whichever strand of it you belong to, um, is a disaster and is the emergence of, of a clannish tribal way of, of doing politics. And I think 
basically that's what we've seen emerge already. Um, so to bring this back to corporate risk, though, you can see why you're ticking off the the sort of short and medium term risk by doing this training. But the long term risk of dividing everybody according to ethnicity, um, I mean, you you don't need you don't need an actuary to point out to you that that could have is likely to have devastating consequences for free speech and lots of other things as well. Well, and I, don't, I think risk committees are just not used to talking about culture very well. Yeah. They're very good about talking about the balance sheet and the P&L and the cash statement. Uh, but culture has generally been left to the chief executive. And when the chief executive gets it wrong, they're fired and they get a new chief executive in. And that's fine. They just got to sort culture out for themselves. And there's always a slight shudder goes around. I think things like risk committee tables when a, a new chief executive says, we, we've got to sort out the culture because no one quite knows what that, what, what that means. Again, it comes back to these definitions and especially in the financial, we're talking in this instance about the financial uh, industry, a lot of hard-headed people out there who are about making money. You start talking about culture, they're going to say, well, and even more than in any other sector, they're going to say, right, leave that to HR, which is kind of the worst thing you can possibly do because <laughs> that's going to accelerate what you're saying then. This kind of monoculture would be accelerated. Um, but what, as you were talking, and another thing that occurred to me and that was right at the top of the aim of these consultations from the PRA and the FCA was to eliminate or at least minimize groupthink. And of course, everything you've just described and everything we see in the free speech union in our casework and everything we see when we speak to people at events who are working in different career paths, different professions, is that where this is embedded, this training, this uh, these external organizations come in, the one thing you're not allowed is groupthink. In fact, if you stand up and say, I, a bit like in Life of Brian, you're all, you're all individuals. I'm not. If you stand up and say, I'm not an individual, I think differently. Um, you, you get exactly what happens in Life of Brian. You get shouted down by the crowd uh, at best. And at worst, you're out of the you're out of a job by tea time, so yeah. You know, this idea of groupthink is is need to be thought from 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 the very beginning. I think I'm just about old enough, Tom, to remember that um, diversity was sold in part um, as bringing the benefit of viewpoint diversity, and that uh, racial and religious diversity was not just a good in and of itself, but it also had quite a hard sort of economic. Um, net positive through mm. through creating um, organizations that had lots of different perspectives and would be more competitive globally. Um, and instead, what we've ended up with is a very, very narrow um, Californian approach to, uh, well, everything, uh, which has crowded out all other perspectives. So it's not just to be lamented for the, the, uh, the erosion of freedom of speech, although that's our dog in this fight. Um, it, it also seems to me to have a whole host of secondary consequences that are that are also pretty terrible well I, you I, you so much to say about that because something i didn't say in the introduction when you said who, who the devil are we you know tom and ben I, I spent 25 years working in the financial sector and i think i would say i was lucky enough to see the truth of that of what you said diversity of thought should be by virtue of diversity of the types of people you have by the end of my time working as, as an actuary, 
I had a team in Singapore, in France, in Switzerland, in Ireland, in the UK, in um, uh, Bogota. And from meeting to meeting to meeting, uh, with all time difference, and Australia, uh, I would move from one cultural environment to another cultural mm. environment to another cultural environment constantly. You know, I knew that with the, the Colombians, it would take some time to get to the point. I knew that in Singapore, the person who, who needed to say something would often be too shy to say something. I knew that you know, Switzerland would be different to Italy. <laughs> Italy would be chaos. I knew, I knew that different cultures needed to be treated. In but I also gained from that. I gained from those different perspectives, those different types of culture, those different types of people, and thoroughly enjoyed it, especially pre-COVID when we were able to travel in person and meet people and really f feel those teams and feel the way they operate. Fe and especially the relationship between my team and then the next layer up or another team of underwriters. And, and what, were the, what were the things that were grinding them and, and causing the, the problems? They were very different because of the different cultures. So in Singapore, I distinctly remember conversations where they felt they could not say to more senior management how they felt. And they felt very uncomfortable even saying to me because they know I knew I came from an Anglo-Saxon environment and from an Anglo-Saxon environment, I'd walk in guns blazing. And I assured them I wouldn't, but they still were hesitant to come to me because they didn't want to, because I would fly away in two days' time and they would then have to deal with those senior people where I might have ruffled mm. their feathers. And so your yeah. point about diversity is well made. And it's true. We make more money. And at the end of the day, that's what financial businesses are all about. We make more money when we recognize the value that different people have, with different characteristics around the world or even in the same place bring to the table. We, we, the business does better. We don't make more money when we take a cookie, cookie cutter approach to racial politics such as critical race theory and impose that upon a workplace and then take that American university way of looking and impose it yeah. on China. I mean, really? It, it, it's just ludicrous. And, and that, unfortunately, though, has been sort of that Kool-Aid has been drunk uh, in the Anglosphere, as we know. But I feel very fortunate. I've lived what you said, that first thing you said, Ben, which is that diversity can be a great strength. Not the cliche, but real diversity that includes diversity of perspective. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm... It, it, once I get on that track, I get quite passionate about it because I thoroughly enjoyed it for the time I was there, working with those different kinds of people. And to box people up in this in this one-dimensional way is to take away such richness from the way that we could enjoy our workplaces. Well, I can say for the benefit of listeners how much Tom needed to get that off his chest. He looks <laughs> a new man now, having said that. He looks relieved. <laughs> And I agree with it's the remarks of the previous speaker. It's a new year. One thing we want to talk about <laughs> was, uh, was the <laughs> yeah. um, was the the uh, one thing I wanted to note certainly was um, the uh, couple of events we had in uh, December just before Christmas, which were really good fun. And I think the video for both of them is now on YouTube. Um, so yes. the first was the uh, comedy night, which. Um, I arrived to um, ever so slightly late, having had a few cocktails, which predisposed me to enjoy the evening uh, even more. Um, and uh, mm. it was uh, it was great fun. 
absolutely fantastic. I don't want to say too much about it except go and find the video and uh, uh, and enjoy. Um, the thing I'd not actually been to an FSU comedy night before. I'd never been able to make the previous ones, and my concern was that you might have. In the future, we might fall into the trap of having um, a kind of mirror image of left-wing, quote-unquote, comedians who just sort of parrot your own own beliefs back at you and everybody laughs at how daft the other side are. And it wasn't that at all. It was really funny. Um, So so do watch that. And the other thing was our 2023 annual review, which is an online event we do at the end of each year. And we, we nominate a hero and a zero for freedom of speech. Uh, in the year so i'm sort of plugging this because i i won one of them and came second in the other category you so, won you uh, <laughs> another lack of humility on my part um but uh, wakefield <laughs> police was our uh, our villain by uh, audience vote of mm. 2023 for their policing of the uh, quran gate uh, episode and the winner was uh, nigel farage so the hero for free speech because of uh, his uh, his efforts against debanking and in exposing debanking and also it's fair to say because of our colleague tim's astonishing astonishing poem in nigel's honor and tim i know you're listening to this and you stole my victory with that poem but it was well deserved <laughs> uh and uh, honorable mention uh close second to uh, colonel kelvin wright whose case we've spoken about many times before yeah so go go and watch both they're on uh, on the free speech union youtube you you nearly won twice, didn't you? Uh, your your nearly. zero won. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um, your uh, hero, uh, the colonel, Colonel Kelvin Wright, uh, nearly won as well. So you would have got a, you would have got a hat trick. But I also Tim's noticed poem. Ben that w- when we uh, uh, go, f- you know, as staff members are, are asked, uh, who would you like as your hero? Who would you like as your zero? You do jump in very quickly. You're in there within the first couple of minutes. I think that that means you're inevitably in with a better chance because you're. I want this one. I want that one. <laughs> well, the thing, I'm just saying, everyone's. Um, there's a bit of sort of brainstorming that goes on about who the nominees might be. So we sort this all out, you know, mid-December time, um, yeah. and there were so many possible uh, heroes and zeros. Mm. But it's really nice actually that we we get to the end of the year and there's so many people that are nominated or could be nominated um and uh yeah i think that says a lot it's not all doom and gloom there's uh, there's quite a lot to celebrate actually well it 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 struck me going back to that comedy night ben uh the monthly newsletter of the free speech union went out yesterday on the first of january which i was very impressed with because that means that toby had to be uh, getting that up and running and, and clicking send, you know, probably with a glass of champagne in his in his hand. Um, so I was very impressed that that came out uh, bang on the first of January. Um, but there was a there's a paragraph at the end of that monthly newsletter I had to read twice because <laughs> it was very funny uh, describing uh, the comedy night. He he said it was a fantastic night, though to my mind slightly soured by Dominic Frisby's song Twelve Days of Christmas which contains some frankly unacceptable hate speech about both me and the FSU. I believe in free speech, of course, but, there's the but, (laughs) can't help feeling that forms of speech which are impolite or unkind about our organisation should really be excluded from the scope of Article 10.1 of the Human Rights Act. I've reported, Dominic, to West Yorkshire Police. Look, 
honourable mention to your win, uh, and expect them to record an NCHI against his name at the very least. And then I All think right. there's a link saying, whatever you do, don't click on this link to listen to it. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> it had to be twice before I realised that um, uh, Toby, Toby, uh, well, I obviously <clears> he, was, he was tongue in cheek, but uh, yeah, there, there's there's a journalist well, for you. It's a it's a brave man who laughs publicly at a joke made at his boss's expense. But I, I think in Toby's case, he doesn't mind. Uh, it was a really it good was evening. very good. I mean, Toby, I thought it was brilliant. The other yeah, thing I thought, going back to the heroes and the zeros, Ben, oh, yeah. was, and we talked about this briefly afterwards. We were, I think, we were having a drink afterwards. And um, what is it that gets the hero to win? What, what is it that makes a hero the hero of heroes? Um, and, and others, obviously very honorable free speech heroes, but they don't quite win when it comes to the voting. And, you know, I, a few things occurred to me. First of all, I think, you know, if we go back to the debanking, I think there's a lot of fear with, with the, the Nigel one. That could be me a bit like the national lottery hand in the sky with Nigel Farage debanking. That could be any one of us. Um, we're not all as high profile as Nigel Farage, but the sort of principles behind it of, of not sharing the bank's values could could be any of us i think the human factor you know with someone like colonel kelvin wright who is a, a hero uh a, a, who's seen action on the front line and action action that's not like any other kind you know helicopters back and forth from the front line um i think that human factor it's a really human story and the third thing i thought was the indignation when you see someone like that, or you see something like what happened yeah. to to uh, to us with PayPal, that indignation—how dare you do that? How dare the authorities do that? So I think those factors, um, those emotions that the stories evoke, are why they get voted up so regularly. So we we had some really really good other instances. It just didn't quite have the the magic the magic mixture of factors um so that, that's what i came up with ben i don't know i don't know if you had any thoughts well, on any of it. i i think those um you know those negative emotions fear anger indignation um are all things that can be channeled into very positive outcomes and and rather than just feeling angry at the country going to the dogs um and uh, you know sitting at home stewing about it do something productive um even if even if that is simply becoming a member of the free speech union or uh, sending money to an organisation um, like Sex Matters or whatever, um, there are all sorts of ways in which you can channel that feeling of indignation or anger um, and and do something constructive with it. And I think one thing that unites all of our members who are all over the political spectrum is that sense of fear at where the country is going, um, indignation at the fact that something that we all thought was protected freedom of speech has been eroded and chipped away. Um, <clears throat> I think all of our members would, would feel that, and that resonates with, with all of them. I mean, when, I was, um, when I first took uh, the job working for the Free Speech Union, I, like you, Tom, I've not looked back since, um, mm. The only nagging doubt I had was, you know, if you're if you're doing this and you're constantly dealing with 
um, helping people who are in really stressful situations um, and you're constantly exposed to how bad things actually are and how bad things are getting. Um, you know, do, do, do you get to a point where you're just kind of burnt out with that? But actually, I find I found the opposite, that um, it's energising that, you know, we're fortunate to be in a position where we can help, where we can do something and where we can channel our own feelings of indignation um, mm. into helping people and into the broader uh, strategic goals the free speech union has um so i think it's fine that it that it comes from a kind of negative place of of anger and and fear i I think just this is in danger of sounding um a bit megan markley but but do something constructive find and find an outlet for those negative feelings and do something positive with it gosh i could be i could be a a well-being guru, couldn't I? Saying things. You've like become that. one. You you you've been mine yeah, for a while, Ben. But uh, no, yeah. now I'm sure you're the world's. <laughs> God, what's come o- What's come over me? Good what's lord! What's come over me? I think that's a wonderfully positive uh, note to strike at the beginning of a new year. It's a worrying year. There's an election coming up here. There's an election coming Two up elections, in the US. Yeah. Cool. Um, there's all sorts of things that you know that, that there's conflict around the world there's there's news items um that are there worrying us every time we we flick the switch and uh, i agree with you i think where we get frustrated where we feel the negative emotions turning them into uh, a sense of purpose uh and something i've found since joining the free speech union it just sharpens your understanding of what the issues are you know i might have year and a half ago said that equality diversity and inclusion hey we need to take a balanced view on it you know and as i've looked at what it actually is and how it works itself out 99 percent of the time it's an absolute disaster and so it sharpened my thinking and helped me and moved me on in my thinking not to say i would i would hopefully i would change it if 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 things evolved in a different direction a better direction uh but i certainly enjoyed that about it is is working with people who are thinking about this all the time really um uh, gets you crisper in your analysis and crisper in your synthesis of of the various issues that we're facing so it's going to be a tough year but i think we're going to go from strength to strength so uh you know, do, do keep uh, supporting the free speech union and become member become members if you're not a member of the free speech union do become a member um but i'm i'm feeling good about 2024 ben well tom on that note um it's extremely stormy where i am very blustery and my lights have just started flickering so i'm going to say goodbye now in a dignified way before i have to say goodbye in an undignified way with a power cut um so keep the faith i think lots uh lots to look forward to in 2024 lots to fight for indeed yeah indeed well happy new year to everybody and we will speak to you next week goodbye for now goodbye <laughs>